Good evening, everyone. It's a blessing to watch your pastor. I saw him playing a keyboard yesterday and playing a guitar tonight. I didn't know you do all that. Is that in is that in your job description? Because you're broke. Hey, you say because you're broke. Amen. If I ever play the guitar on a Sunday, I want to check for that. Amen. I want to check. I want to check for the guitar. If I play keyboard, if I play the tambourine, I want to check. Amen. How y'all doing? Amen. It's good to be here. Good to be here tonight. Good to be saved. Wow. I'm thinking all the places we could have been on Friday night. I know some of y'all have been saved all your life, but some of us used to didn't go to church on Fridays. Amen. <laughs> That's just the truth. Amen. You can sit there and act like it ain't true. You weren't thinking about church. Amen. But ain't you glad he saved you and rescued you? And Some of us, he had to come way down there to get us. Amen. Had to come get us. Amen. Thank the Lord. Amen. That he rescued us from darkness and uh, brought us into this marvelous light. I'm honored. I give honor to you, Pastor. Pastor Kay. Thank you for your good cooking and all your hospitality and just the fine way in which you all have cared for us and, and been a blessing to us. It's been good to be here. If you have a Bible, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 5. I have written a book. It's called Grace for the Broken. It's called Second, Second Chance. I'm forgetting the name of it. It's called A Second Chance, Grace for the Broken. I wrote the book. Uh, it took me over two years to write the book. It is a book for anybody who's in need of the grace of God and maximizing your second chance. All of us have gotten multiple chances with God. Every day you wake up is another chance. But there's something to be said of stewarding the grace of God and not taking it for granted and learning from your mistakes so that you can become better, so that failure becomes your friend. It doesn't have to be an enemy. And just because I did it doesn't make me it. You're not defined by what you did. You're defined by who you are. We learned that last night. Amen. And God saved us knowing what we would do. I always say God didn't give me a second chance when I messed up. He gave me a second chance when he chose me knowing that I would mess up. He didn't wait till I mess up and say, I think I give you some grace. His grace was all over my life before I knew I needed it. And that's the case with you, too. So I just bought, I think we got like 40 books left. So if every one of you get one, amen. Then I can, then I can get my family out the hood. Amen. You can do my... In Luke chapter 5, there's a passage that I want to look at, the first 11 verses. And then I want to read verses 18 through 22, I think. 20 as well. And then see what God will say to us tonight. Somebody say breakthrough. breakthrough. Is it warm in here to y'all or y'all all right? All right, it's a little warm to me. Verse 1. This is the New Living Translation. I hope that's okay. It's the only one I have. I ain't, I'm not as good as Bishop Day. He can grab somebody else's Bible and preach like that. I can't do that. I got to preach out of mine. <laughs> Verse 1 says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. And stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Mm -hmm. Verse 4. 
When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. Somebody say breakthrough. Mm -hmm. Their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. Their nets were so full of fish. Get that picture. I want you to see that. That they began to tear. There wasn't enough capacity to handle the catch. They didn't have enough net to handle the catch. Their nets began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners into the other boat. Everybody say partners. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Mm. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as, as were the others with him. His partners, James, John, sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And verse 10 says, Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Verse 17 says, one day while Jesus was teaching, some of the Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. As, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took, took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. This is verse 20. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. I'm going to stop right there. I, I want to talk tonight about breakthrough. It is the theme of this conference. It is the desire of your pastor's heart and every other pastor. Let me just take a minute to recognize every pastor who may be here, maybe here from another church. Are there any other pastors in here? I know I met a couple, but God bless you, pastor. I see you waving your hand. Anybody else in here? I want to honor you. God bless you, pastor. I see you standing in the back. Amen. We honor you for your work. This is the worst job I ever loved. Amen. Amen. You have to be called or psychotic to do this work. <laughs> There's no other assignment like it. It's, I could spend all night just talking about pastoring. It's just, it's, you just don't want to take this up. This ain't something you take up, like a hobby. This ain't no hobby. This will kill you. Amen. <laughs> so give me, help me celebrate these pastors who are here tonight. Give them a hand and celebrate them. I'm grateful for the liberty of communicating to you all. I'm so glad I came last night. I was so blessed by the ministry of Bishop, Bishop Donald Clay and the freedom with which he ministered. It made me, I feel like I can just be free. Amen. Amen. You all received it so much. Breakthrough has an origin. Before anything break, there's, breaks, there's usually pressure. Right? Sometimes that pressure is painful. The kind of breakthrough we're looking for in ministry and in our businesses and in our families and in our lives is the kind of breakthrough that explodes beyond the boundaries 
of stagnation into a place of fruitfulness and expansion and growth. Breakthrough. Somebody say breakthrough. I believe one of the origins of breakthrough, they're not, it's not the only one, but the origin, one of the origins of breakthrough is breakthrough thinking. Breakthrough thinking. There must be a breakthrough in my head before there's a breakthrough in my life. There must be a breakthrough in my head before there's a breakthrough in my money. In fact, the word money comes from a Latin word, capital, capital, which means head. Capital means head, and if your head ain't right, your money will never be right. Breakthrough starts in my head, and breakthrough in any local church starts in the head. When the head wants to break through, the body will follow. That's why you have to pray for your head. (laughs) You have to pray for your head, because the head controls the body. My head gives my body directions. My body can't even function. In fact, whenever somebody has difficulty controlling their limbs and extremities, the problem is not in the extremity. The problem is in the head. If the head is not sending the signals and the signals not getting to, you can lose your speech if you lose your head. There's a part of your head that controls language. That's why the enemy is always attacking the head. Mm. So, so breakthrough starts in my head. It is the way I think. First Corinthians thirteen eleven says, "When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Listen to that verse. Listen to that verse. Listen to that verse. When I was a child. I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, understood like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. That, let me stay there for a minute. So, so even if you reverse the verse, maturity should flip that around. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, watch the order, I thought like a child, and I understood like a child. Mm-hmm. When I became an adult... I put away childish things. So now I should think and understand before I talk. <laughs> One of the signs of immaturity is you open your mouth before you understand. And before you think. And that's why people don't, 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 don't respect you and don't trust you as a follower of leadership. is because you always got your mouth open but you haven't even understood what you're talking about. And one of the keys to being a great follower is silence and knowing when to talk. I ain't even, this ain't even in my message. This must be somebody here. I'm just talking to y'all. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. I understood as a child. But watch this. When I became a man, watch this. It's interesting. He says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. In other words, becoming a man doesn't make childish things disappear. I had to, <laughs> there, is, there are some childish things that will grow up with you. You could be a grown woman, 45, 50 years old, and still have that little girl in the fifth grade that's scared of a, of a pretty girl and scared somebody going to pull you in the bathroom and pull your hair out like they did in elementary. There's something in every grown man that still wants to compare himself like a little child to the man sitting next to him and say, I'm faster than you. I can beat you. I can throw faster than you. I can make, I can make more shots than you. We still act like that. 
the child never goes away. The child has to be checked. But one thing about thinking in the text, thinking, your child needs to be able to help you think. See, there's some things, Paul says, I put away childless things. He didn't say, I put away my child. See, some of you put your whole, okay, okay. You're thinking, you're thinking, breakthrough thinking is by, in its core, imaginative. At its core, breakthrough thinking, break, breakthrough thinking is visionary. It is dream oriented. It is imaginative. And, and there's a part of us that is childlike that thinks in dreams. It thinks in fantasy. There's a, there's a part of our brain, there are pathways in the human brain, and one of those pathways leads right into fantasy and make-believe. And it usually only clicks in right before we go into REM stage of dreaming and sleep. If you get to the level of rapid eye movement in your sleep, you will go into a part of your brain called fantasy. It is amazing. It is um, The human brain is amazing. We have been fearfully and wonderfully made. If you've ever had a dream without even writing the script, without producing it, without directing it, you have a full motion-colored movie every time you go to sleep. You're sleeping and in your dream, you're on a ski slope, but you're on, you got tennis shoes on. And then you come back and you're on the street and you got on skis and you're skiing on top of a bus. And, and then you run into the cabin and in the fireplace, there's Denzel Washington. I mean, it's your dream. You you know what I'm saying? It would be Beyonce. It was me. That was just saying, it's my dream. And without planning it, without thinking through it, without preparation, your dream goes. You have a motion picture movie, and MGM didn't get any credit for it. Paramount didn't get any credit for it. You've been fearfully and wonderfully. Your mind is amazing. And if you could open up that part of your mind, you can see things that you cannot, you can, you can imagine things, you can see the impossible and believe the incredible. But what, here's the problem, as you become an adult, and as you deal with reality, and bills, and pressure, and all of that, it shuts up the dreamer in you. That's why every now and then, you gotta separate, you gotta separate yourself and give yourself time to let that child think for you. Because you remember when we were children, we believed, we didn't even know we were, we didn't know we were poor. How many of you would grew up, you didn't even know you were poor until you got older and said, man, we was poor. You were happy. Some of us who were African American, we didn't know we were black. We didn't know about racism. We dreamed we could be a Superman and I could be the president. I could be all that. You know, that was part of the family. I'd be a fireman, be a policeman, be a lawyer, be a football player. We dreamed and then we got older and then we kept listening to people who had given up on their dreams and told us to be practical and not dreamers. And told us to get a good old degree so we can get us a good job, so we can take care of ourselves instead of following our purpose and our dream. So they told us to play it safe and it shut up the kid. And I'm saying there's a kid in every leader who needs time to talk to you about what you can do. Every now and then, I think every leader needs to go down to Disney World just to wake up your dreams. When I go in Disney World, there's a theme park. It just wakes my dreams up. The dreamer in me. It was a dreamer that created it. Your thinking is... There's something in in the world of, of neuroscience called neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity says that the human brain is is capable of growing, not in physical, not physically, but in capacity. Your brain can actually grow. You don't, you're not using all of your brain. And here's what John Maxwell says. He says, when a brain has been stretched by the truth, it will never return to its former dimension. 
And some of our brains are not growing because we're not reading and we're not being trained and we're not being exposed to things that stretch our thinking. Somebody say, stretch my mind, God. Let me dream. Let me think. See, so, so, so if I'm going to have a breakthrough, it's going to start with my thinking. Then it moves into my conversations. Churches that experience breakthrough, I've looked, I started thinking about this as I look back over the history of my church. It started with thinking that I was having that transferred into conversations that I was having. So we stopped talking about things that were no longer where we wanted to be. We started having conversations. They were breakthrough conversations. See, a breakthrough church will start having breakthrough conversations. So you start having conversations that, are, that, talk, that appreciate where we are. And appreciate where we've been, but long for where we can be. It's almost a collision between now, then, and when. So then, that's what we did. Look at where we come from. And it's great to remember your history so you can see the faithfulness of God. And it's great to appreciate where we are now. But any great leader that's leading, it's vision, it's dreams. that I got to get there. That's what will torment followers when you have a leader whose dream is their drug. See, see, for leaders, our dream is our drug. That was, that's what we, we get high on our hopes. <laughs> so, so, so it's frustrating when you're following them because you're trying to catch a contact on what he's high on. Y'all don't know nothing about contact, right? I'm trying to see what kind of church this is. They know what a contact is. Do I need to break that down? You know what a contact is. You know what a contact is. And it's frustrating because the leader will be high on something God wants them to do. And the people are trying to get a hit on what he's been hitting. I got to clean this up. The people. That's right. I forgot. That's all y'all did. It's, it's legal here. <laughs> I got to talk in code in DC. I can talk real right here. Y'all just said it's legal here. So, but it becomes frustrating because what you have to understand is when you're a leader and you're driven by dreams, and most visionary leaders are, the more high you get on dreams, you, you, what happens is you need something stronger. So the last dream doesn't stir you anymore. See, you get frustrated because you still want to smoke weed. He on heroin now. <laughs> Spiritually. I'm just, I'm, oh, this, is, this is a metaphor. He's not on heroin. It's a metaphor. So somebody's saying, man, we just tried to catch up with the last vision, and he's already into another one. That's, that's, and that frustrates followers because here's what you have to understand. Every dream requires a process and a system to bring it to pass. And while people are trying to bring the vision to pass systemically and through process, the leader is already high on something else. Okay, let me, am I making sense to y'all? So, 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 so if I have a dream, if I have a vision and I say, hey, I want to do something for returning citizens. I just think that we need as a ministry to help people who come out of prison, to give them an opportunity, to give them a driver's license, to give them a job, to get them back on their feet, to get them with their medication. I feel like our church should be doing something. I might preach a sermon on it. I might make an announcement on it. I might do a flyer. I might go to an event. And I'm, and that's for two, two months. I'm just all on that. So get the people behind it. Let's get behind the pastor on this and let's do this. Well, come spring, I'm now talking about education. 
We got to do something about our schools, y'all. We got to do something about the schools. We got to get in there and get in the schools. And people say, I thought we was doing return to citizens. We are. You mean we can't chew gum and walk at the same time? See, strategically, you can't have everybody working on every team. You got to have people that, that, that unite with that vision and say, I'm committed to returning citizens work. I'm committed to this path, this vision of the past. You cannot limit a leader to one vision and then get frustrated when he shifts. You, you got to stay with what he's building because it still matters to him. It still matters. If I said it, it mattered. It still mattered. And if I tell you don't do it anymore, that means we're moving to something else. But a lot of things people get frustrated with is because the leader is still being driven by the dream that God continues to say, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is what I'm calling the people around you to do. Am I making sense? So now these conversations are very important because they're, they're what Bill Hybels calls here to their conversations. Bill Hybels says that really... Vision is basically taking people from here to there. That's what a vision is. It's taking people from here to there. That's really all vision is. He shared a, a, a talk one time. He says, he says, I was trying to get my church to go in a particular direction. We were here and we'd had success and I'm trying to get them to go there. And he said, I gave a vision talk. And he says the vision talk had emotion in it. It had illustrations in it. I had pictures in it. I had a dream. I had an architect draw up what we were trying to do. And he says it was so powerful that when I walked off the stage, the people were clapping and all that. And he says by Monday or Tuesday when it was time to get people to follow up, follow through on the vision, they, they were like, well, Pastor, we'd like your talk about going there, but we're fine right here. Which is frustrating to a leader is people don't want to go there because they're comfortable here. So he says, I couldn't believe it. He said, I went to my board and I thought we were going to just move forward. He said, he said, we heard you talk. It was a great talk, great message, great talk, Pastor. Because most people in church react to, to teaching more than they act on it. In fact, preachers often measure the quality of a message based on the reaction, not the action. That's a big difference. I'd rather have a silent church that acts on the word than a hyper church that runs around throwing money on the stage and ain't going to change. Church people are very reactive. In fact, you look more spiritual because you're more reactive. But it may be a man sitting on your row who said nothing that's going to go home and do what God said. And you shouted all the way through the sermon and ain't going to change one iota. I'm sorry, how much time I got? So anyway, so, so he says, he says, he says, I know what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this message again. He came back the next Sunday, did it again, had more illustrations, more emotions in it, more testimonies. And he says, same thing happened. He says, now it's time to go there. When it was time to talk to the people to make it happen, they says, but we're fine right here. We're okay right here. And most people don't, most people are okay right here because we're doing fine right here. And going there might cost us. So he says, the wrong way to give a vision is to try to tell people, that there is great, you got to teach people that here is bad. See, let me tell you what makes here unacceptable. Let me tell you why it's unacceptable for Restoration Church not to grow. What's the church called? Restoration Christian Fellowship, RCF. That's, I just made that up, RCF. Y'all never heard RCF. I just gave y'all that name. So I did some demographic studies today. I tried to, to study this community. You should know it more than I should. How many people do you think live in Aurora? 
How many people you guess live in Aurora? Guess. How many people y'all think? I don't hear. Half a million? Okay. I saw somewhere it was at least 350,000 people who live in this city. So which one y'all want to go with? Y'all, y'all think it's more 350,000 or half a million? Which y'all think? Okay, let's go with 350. Let's go with 350,000 people. If there are 350,000 people who live in Aurora, I didn't mention Denver and places that are nearby. I'm just talking about Aurora. Let me ask you a question. How many of those people do you think may need the Lord? You think? You think? If we believe, we believe. I think all of them need the Lord, right? How many of them would you just guess are unchurched or unsaved? Either one. Don't go to church or don't know the Lord. How many out of the 350,000? You think, what percentage? 75%? 75, 80%. Somebody say 50. Somebody say, I don't know how to do 80, but I know half of it is 175. So are we safe to say at least 175 people, 75,000 people in Aurora need ministry? They need to come to know the Lord. Let me ask you this. How many of the 175,000 people in Aurora do you think God wants y'all to try to reach? All of them. Let, let, me, let me simplify it for you. What if, what if God just said, what if we just prayed and said, God, with your help, we will do our best to reach 1% of the unsaved, unchurched people in Aurora? That's 1,750 people that God would entrust to you. Just 1%. We're not doing that. Here is not okay. Here is not okay. See, all selfish, loving Jesus church people want the church to stay small. You know why? Because they they, they stopped witnessing long ago. Because they only care about themselves and me getting fed, me having relationships. They don't even want a big church. People don't want a big church. You know why they don't want a big church? Because they want the church to be small. It's amazing. There's no other entity in the world that wants to stay small but the church and the people in the church. (laughs) Walmart don't want to stay small. Target does not want to stay small. Xerox don't want to stay small. And trust me, the Denver Broncos people to run that, the Nuggets people to run the Pepsi Center, all of them, none of them want to be small. I think a church should be big as the Pepsi Center. That's what I'm saying. Why didn't church? <laughs> and where, where do the Broncos play? So whatever that place is, they got a they got an owner. Who's the owner of the Broncos? Pat Bowling. So he's got a congregation of what? How many people show up for Sunday service over there? Seventy-five thousand. And they got seventy-five. They have praise and worship. They got dancers. They got the cheerleaders. So that's their praise dancers. They got. They have an offering. You got to pay an offering to get in the parking lot. What's the parking? About 25? That's just to get on the premises. That's an that's a offering right there. Then you got to, if you're going to get a ticket, that's a tithe. 75,000 strong, red, yellow, white, and black, all on one accord. They don't care what the doctrine is. Ain't nobody in that team died for them. Nobody on that team made a way out of no way for them. Nobody on that team opened up the Red Sea for them. Nobody on that team held their body. But I give you 100 for the ticket, 25 for the parking, $10 for a beer, $8 for a hot dog. What else you need? 
and will dress up in orange and blue because I'm down with the team. I wear a Bronco helmet, paint my face half blue, half orange for a team that did nothing for me. The owner don't know me. The coach don't know me. Won't nobody see about me when I'm in trouble. And here we talk about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and we act like it's supposed to be small. This is a much more important place than that. Here is unacceptable. 500, 600 people is unacceptable. That ain't even a fraction. We ain't even, we need to lay on our face and say, God, give us 1% of this city. Just let us start there, then we get to 2%. I ain't telling you something I practice. There, there are at least a half a million people who are unchurched, unsaved in Prince George's County where I pastor. I'm talking about the whole county. It's a little big, it's pretty big. For half a million people. I'm past 1%. We're, we're reaching about 11,000 people through our internet and through our campuses. We're past that. So I'm not telling you some rhetoric, but this is what I had to do to get my people to stop being so selfish. See, this is our church right here. These are the people we're trying to reach. We keep looking at the 500 who are coming. So you got to make a decision. Are we going to be a keeper of the aquarium and keep all the people that's in here happy? Or are we going to go out in the ocean and try to reach people who are par- Are we going to rescue the perishing and care for the dying? Are we going to be happy having church? Our conversations got to change. How can we reach more people? I'm not, that's what I ask all the time. How's it going to help us reach more people? We need to do this. How, okay, how's it going to reach, is it going to bring some people? Are we going to reach people? We're in the people business. Well, y'all talking about these numbers. Y'all talking about numbers. Numbers matter because lives matter. <laughs> these represent these represent souls and marriages and students and people who have hopes and dreams and people who are made in the image of God and people who Jesus spilled his blood for. Do you think they don't matter? God give us 1% so that our baseline was 1750. That's what there is about. That's why here is not okay. That's why whatever we got to do. See, see. Here's one of the problems. In Luke chapter 5, that's where I'm, because uh, I don't know what time I started, so I know what time, I don't know what time I'm supposed to finish. Now, my brother will stop me. My service ain't but 70 minutes. I ain't supposed to be preaching more than 40 minutes. But let me go ahead and say this to you. In Luke chapter 5, and the reason why my service is only 70 minutes, it's longer than it should be. The most popular show in my community is a show called Power. Then there's another show called Empire. Then there's another joint called Scandal. All of those shows, watch this, they ain't even six, they're 48 minutes. They're 12 minutes of commercials. And they got people glued to their seat. We're ministering to a generation who's not used to sitting down for two and a half hours doing nothing. Certainly not listen to us sing, listen to us pontificate through the scriptures. We have to do what we're going to do in a timely manner because we're dealing with a generation that doesn't have that kind of attention span. We ain't that good. Power, empire, scandal is 48 minutes of high-powered action. You can't even turn around and say, girl, I can't wait. I got to get home. There are people that don't come to church when scandal's on. 
They don't even mean no harm, Pastor. I just can't, right now, I just can't make it. We just don't have enough gas in the car. Anyway, anyway, am I boring, y'all? I hope, I hope I'm disturbing you. I really do. I hope, I hope this ain't an easy conversation. Change is never easy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Verse 5. I'm in Luke 5. I said all that to go there. One day Jesus was preaching on the shore. He's preaching where? He's preaching on the shore. There are so many people there, Pastor, that he gets so overwhelmed that he starts backing into the water. Because preaching, good preaching can get a crowd. So he says, to, to, to he's, he notices while he's preaching in verse 2, by the way, these people are coming to hear the word. Verse 1 is not unbelievers. You got to look at this verse metaphorically because they're talking about fishing, but Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, right? So when you look at fishing, you're talking about evangelism. Y'all with me? So, so, so when we're in verse 1, this is not an evangelistic service. These are already followers who are hungry for the word because verse 1 said they came here to Jesus preach the word. That ain't number some saved people. They came to the conference to hear the word. That's what they're here for. And they packed the place out. They're backing Jesus into the water. And he notices two empty boats. The boats are empty because the people who own them aren't using them for their purpose. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Lord help me. So they're not fishing. They're washing nets. And they're not in the boat. We, la- we learn later in the text that they had tried all night to fish and caught nothing. But at this time, they're not fishing, they're washing nets. Jesus says to one of the owners of one of the boats, Simon, he says, can I use your boat? He says, I, I, I want, can you push it out into the water just a little bit? And he says he sat in the boat and taught the crowd from there. So now he's a little bit off the shore, he's in the water in the boat, and he's still preaching. Because he's able to acoustically still connect with the people because they're up on the sand. They're walking into the water. That's some hunger right there for the word. These are hungry people for the word. He done pushed off in the boat and he's still teaching, right? He finishes preaching to these people who already are convinced and believe. And says to Simon, thank you for letting me use your boat to preach. Because I do, I did need your boat for preaching. But now I want to use your boat for fishing. Ooh, that good right there. <laughs> they missed that, Pastor. They missed that. So I said, I said, thank you for letting me use this boat for preaching. This is a nice boat, too, by the way. This is a nice boat. But I'm going to need to use your boat to do some fishing. And I can't fish right here. That's what I'm talking about here. I need you to go where it's uncomfortable. I, I'm not telling you to stop preaching. I'm telling you to start fishing. Now, here's what I know about word ministries. Most churches that are word-oriented are evangelism anemic. We only advertise to Christians. We're on Christian radio. We're on Christian television. We do everything with Christians, and we attract a lot of Christians from other churches for all of our events. So we just shuffle people from one church to another. But there aren't any intentional efforts to go fishing. Because <laughs> fishing takes us out of our comfort zone. 
Fishing to have you on a secular hip-hop go-go station with somebody, with some DJ Flex on the radio mixing songs, and you got to come on, and your church program comes on after Lil Wayne. That's how I do it. I don't want to be on Christian radio, ain't trying to be on TBN, I'm trying to get on BET. I want to bust in there while my kids watch the TV and say, look at dad, I'm on my show. Because that's where the fish are. Now you can keep you can keep throwing light where there's already light and blind everybody, or you can throw light in the darkness where it's needed the most. But you got to be willing to be controversial because I'm fishing. Tell somebody I'm fishing. So he says we got to go out in the deep, verse four, where it's deeper, and let down your nets to catch some fish. And watch what Simon said. We already tried that. <laughs> we already been. <laughs> you know, Jesus is not a fisherman, by the way. <laughs> Jesus comes from a carpentry family. He makes boats. We sail boats. So, you know, it's probably something in Simon's family, like, he don't even, what are you talking about? He don't even know nothing about fishing. We fishermen. We come from a fishing family. He's talking about going out there and catch fish. This ain't even fishing time. This ain't even the right time to catch fish. And we were already fishing. My guess is they were fishing too close to the shore. That's why he says, I want to take you somewhere where the fish are. See, this is the problem with church. We got a nice boat, but we keep trying to fish on the shore. We're fishing where preaching is supposed to happen. I'm supposed to preach to y'all to motivate you. But if we're going to have, see, we try to have evangelistic services and outreaches to people, but we just, we just preaching to the same people that already been caught. So we give invitations and calls to Christian discipleship to a room full of believers. <laughs> and watch this, and watch this. What was the trip about it is they were washing their nets and hadn't caught nothing. Check this out. They're washing their nets. <laughs> what you wash your net for? That's maintenance. Maintenance hinders growth. When you're washing your nets and you ain't caught no fish, Jomo, that means you're going through the motions. You know how many churches just going through the motions? We cut the lights on. We cut the lights on at 7 o'clock. We go through sound check. We do the band rehearsal. We make sure the camera's on. Make sure the budget's in place. Make sure everything's organized. Make sure the security's out there. We have a good time. Then we go back, shut the lights off, cut the cameras off, cut the parking lot off, go back home, watch the game, go through the motions. Every Sunday, we wash your nets, ain't caught nothing because we ain't been fishing in forever. It's analogous to the old Baptist deacon who washes the baptismal pool every four Sunday. They ain't had a baptism in three years. But every four Sunday, he washing the pool out and filling it up with water because they stopped fishing a long time ago. And the reason why we stop fishing, because fishing is uncomfortable. We'd rather have church. Hi! Revelation. <laughs> Glory to God. We're going to fall out. Let somebody slay us. Get the blanket. We like that. So we get high on church. But if you watch most young people when they come, they're totally disconnected from the whole thing. And they don't even understand what's going on. 
I said in the session yesterday, we're still trying to catch sinners with Saint Bait. So, 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 are y'all okay? Can I finish? So, so, so Jesus sometimes said, we already tried that. But what I love about him is, he ain't too stupid. He says, but if you say so. Let me tell you what will happen, Pastor Gilbert. If this church had a if you say so spirit, God, if you say so, (laughs) if that's what you're telling us to do, it don't have to make sense. It don't have to add up. It doesn't have to fit our comfort if you say so. If you say go fishing when we already tried it, if you say try something we already tried didn't work the last time, if you say so. Because, see, sometimes God's got to wait on your situation to get so dry and so frustrating and so depressing that you come to the point where you say. See, what you have to understand is the innovation and creativity and work that you have has brought you this far. And we should celebrate that. This church has come a long way based on the innovation and creativity and work and grace of God up for the last 17 years to bring you up to here. But if you're going to go further, see, if you're going to reach who you've never reached, you're going to have to do what you've never done. That's breakthrough. We got to break through our own paradigms of how we do ministry. And what we think, the only people that get upset with the way I do church is church people. The world loves it. Thank you for coming to get us. Fish have to be caught. Have you ever, how many of you go fishing? How many of you have been fishing? How many of you gone fishing have ever seen a bass or a trout come to your boat and jump in it? Say, man, I'm glad you came. I like to be pan-seared, by the way. (laughs) Nobody jumping up in this boat just because we put a sign outside saying all are welcome. We ain't even putting our marketing where fish are. Who, who understands what I'm talking about? You don't have to agree. We don't even market where fish are. We market where saints are. Trying to reach fish. And then got other pastors mad at us because we're taking their, their sh- shrimp from them. <laughs> I just made that up. I don't even want your people. It's too... I got 175,000 waiting. Why would I want to take, why would I want to take eight of your 20? It's 175,000 out here. You want to help me get them? But you can't go out here churchy. Hallelujah. Talk to me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Can I talk to you? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Can I talk to you? No, you can't talk to me. I'd rather go to hell than have you talk to me like that. See, 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 one of the problems is every church, if it's going to grow, has to have investors and inviters. Investors and inviters. 96% of people who come to church come through a personal invitation. It ain't door knockers no more. People don't trust door knockers or flyers. You put a flyer on my car about the church, I will throw it right at you. Nobody trusts the church. The church has lost its credibility. It comes through relationships. An insider has got to be an inviter. Why aren't you inviting people? 
There's something about your church that doesn't make you feel good about inviting them. Or something about your walk that doesn't make you want to cross the line and make yourself vulnerable to rejection. We got quiet. Where all my help go? What I love about Luke chapter 5, I'm going to go back to the, to the boat thing. And down in verses 18, Jesus is preaching in the house. Same situation. Now he's preaching in somebody's house. It's packed. Whenever Jesus is preaching, it's packed. Verse 17 says, it's so packed that over in verse 17, it says, these guys, Mark 2 says, it's four guys who are carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They tried to get in the house and couldn't get in because the place was packed. Packed with church people, Pharisees, religious people, all listening to Jesus, all for different reasons. I won't even go into the crowd. But the place is packed, and these guys show up because they're carrying their friend to Jesus. Because they want to get their friend to Jesus. A real friend will get you to Jesus. Even if it makes them uncomfortable. Do you know how uncomfortable it is to lift up a grown man on a mat? Maybe they had handles on all four corners and you got to carry him. It wasn't, they wasn't in a, in, a, in a minivan where they could slide him in and get, hey, buckle up, let's go. They're walking from wherever he was. Because he is totally paralyzed. And then they get to the house after carrying this man and get to the service and it's packed. And the ushers are saying, we can't put him out. It's fire hazard. Because you know, every, you got an usher. Then you got the armor bearers. You got everybody at the door saying, no, nah, we can't take no more people. I hate that, by the way. We can't take no more people. This closed. And so, so these guys, they ultimately went on the roof. But you know, before they went on the roof, they probably went around the back. Knock on the door say, can we get in? And the security said, no, nah, we packed. Service full, service full. Looking at this man. You couldn't even look at this man's condition. And I'm sure when they were walking around, they probably knocked on the window because these guys are gangster. They're going to tear somebody's roof up to get the man to Jesus. You know they don't mind knocking on the window. Hey, hey! We got, we got a situation. And you know the saints in there like this. They should have came on time. They up there disturbing the church. They don't even have on the right clothes. Mm-hmm. That's Susie's boy. I know Susie's boy. He just. Some of you are just like that. You wouldn't even give your seat up for a sinner. So they couldn't get in the house. So the Bible says they went up the side of the house on a ladder, got up on the roof, and started tearing the tiling off the roof. This is major right here. How far would you go to get somebody to Jesus? <laughs> you say, see, you say, see, because you, you can't just be an investor and an inviter. You got to be a bringer. Some of y'all have invited people to your church for years. So why don't you come to my church? You got to go pick them up. And you say, hey, I got you. I'll come pick you up. What's that, what's that neighborhood you're talking about? I'll pick you up. Um, I'll come get you, girl. Where you live? She said, I live in Hoffman Heights. Good. That's right on the way. I can get you on Hoffman Heights. That's right. A straight shot. But if they said they live in Thornton, you'd be like, Thornton? Well, you got to go to hell. You live in Thornton. I can't be picking you up. You're going to hell. They ain't got no churches in Thornton. You got the internet. The way I'm going around Thornton, high as gas is and traffic and then I'm going to be late. 
Ain't I'm telling the truth? Ain't I'm telling the truth? We ain't willing to go out of our way one iota to bring somebody to Jesus. Not one iota. If it makes us uncomfortable, it ain't going to happen. And yet God got as uncomfortable as walking down the Via Dolorosa with blood streaming out of every part of his body for us. As they whipped him with, with, with a cat of nine tails. Y'all ain't going to help me preach. As he hung between two thieves and died on a cross. He went a long way to get us. And we ain't going to Thornton. That's out the way. You don't think carrying a man on a mat, walking, and having to tear somebody's roof. By the way, it was Peter's house. Now, they done, they done tore this thing, made a hole, and said, oh, he ain't right there. Because they, they made sure they lowered this man right where Jesus was. And no, over here, right here, right here. Tear, they tearing the man's roof up. Stuff falling into the service. It's like if somebody started busting this roof up right now, we think it's a terrorist attack. Like, what is this? Then finally, they lowered a man down. Now, Peter, we know, has a documented cussing problem. Peter's probably like, what the? I know ain't nobody going up in my... I'm going to bust a cap in. This is my... Not many fish I had to catch to buy this house. I used to do youth ministry, right? We had a youth ministry event. I was at a church. I was a youth minister at the church. We had an event one night, packed out. 60 kids got saved. I was called into a joint board meeting the next day. The trustees and the deacons got together and said, we can't have that no more around here. Let me tell you why. Some kids got in a fight on the parking lot. That's what they do. They was heathen. We broke the little fight up. They couldn't fight. They were swinging at each other. We, we broke the little fight up. Somebody had spilled some Kool-Aid on the carpet in the fellowship hall. You know what the trustee said? I said, 60 people got saved. You know what the trustee said? Who going to clean up the carpet? This is God's house. We can't be having no Kool-Aid on the carpet. Got to show these kids how to act. I said, 60 people. You'd be surprised at how indifferent we are about eternal things. Who's going to clean the carpet? I can't come over there and open up the building. Who I got to come up there and open up the building? Are you serious? Because you don't get it. You pass the keys. They don't trust us with nothing. No keys, combinations, nothing. <laughs> Pastor, they was in there at midnight. You know I bowl on Fridays. I ain't even lying. I wish I was. I was just lying. That's the mentality. What if it didn't matter? 60 souls? You know them parents of them 60 kids would have cleaned that carpet up. My son got saved. Where the cleaning mix? Get on my knees and clean up. I'll stand out here and serve in the parking lot myself. So the question is, how far would you go? And Jesus was blown away. He saw their faith. He says, 
man, your sins are forgiven you. And the man got healed. What I'm saying is, they can't, they didn't come in the right way. They didn't come through the door. They came through the roof. What I'm telling you is, young people ain't coming in church like they used to. They ain't coming in the right way. They coming with do-rags on. They coming with their ears pierced. They coming with tats all over their body. They coming smelling like weed. They coming with their drawers showing. But instead of getting mad at them for the way they look, just thank God that they came. I'm glad you're here. Who will help me? Is there anybody to say any kind of way you come in here? I don't care if you come in here drunk. I don't care if you come in here high. I don't care if you come in here with a gun on you. I'm glad you made it. Are we ready for it? Are we willing to make the adjustments to the things we're praying for? We're praying for growth. Are we willing to adapt to the kind of growth that that might mean? I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I really am almost finished. But if you say so, Lord, if you say so, we'll do it. Peter gives a signal. Drop the nets, guys. So many fish came to the net that the net started breaking. Somebody say breaking. Sometimes you can't have breakthrough. Oh, by the way, that was a break in in verse 20, 18. <laughs> I said that yesterday. They broke in. <laughs> That'll get you a breakthrough too. I, I can't go back in there. But this is a this is a breaking that's happening because the network wasn't strong enough to handle the catch. <laughs> see, see, you can't reach one percent of Aurora with one service at 9.30. You got to have more nets. You got to have more options. I don't know about y'all, but when I go to the movies, I kind of want to see a movie. If I want to see the movie, I kind of like the fact that the movie's playing at 11, and it's playing at 1, and then I can come at 3. I can go get some dinner, watch it at 5. I can come back at like 7. Y'all ain't ready for this. Y'all ain't ready for it. Y'all ain't ready for this. I got it. I got it. Y'all just got one showtime. You can't come to restoration at 9.30. You can't come. Because you know what? At 12, we close. We close at 7. We definitely close at 5. Close on Saturdays. Saturdays. Nets. 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 Watch this. They had to call on other boats. Partners. Watch the text. It says call on partners. What partnerships are you going to need to catch the people you're trying to catch? They had to get other boats. And he sank the boats. What I had to find out was I couldn't partner with TBN and Christian fellowships to get the kind of fish I was trying to read. I partnered with secular radio stations. I'm on secular sports stations. I'm trying to catch fish. I have a partnership with CBS Radio. I have a partnership with, with Radio 1. And we do video vlogs for Radio 1. And it's just to reach their, I'm on their platform. We pay to be on their platform to get their Facebook followers to watch me preach. For 60 seconds. Because ain't nobody got time to watch nobody for 60 minutes. Y'all don't mind this. But you got to talk to Ray Ray quick. (laughs) 
You understand? So, so they had to get partnerships. Are you willing to partner with the police force and partner with the political uh, system and partner with the school system? To partner with, what we want to do is we want to partner with a church that believes what we believe. Are we willing to partner with a secular environment or secular circle that has access to people who need to hear what we've got? Are we willing to penetrate secular cultures and put our money on the table to partner with them so that the message of the gospel could be heard? Partners. Networks. Networks. So, so this is how it ended. The nest almost broke. They got some other bros. They brought in the fish. And Peter said, Jesus, I only deserve to be in your presence. He worships him. And Jesus says, I showed you a picture of how to catch men, how to catch people. That's what this is about. It's really about at the end of the day that we didn't just get an injection of emotion. But that we were injected with the kind of impartation that's going to make a change in the way we do ministry. Because if you keep doing what you've been doing, don't expect any different results. But if you're going to have a breakthrough, you got to have a breakout in your thinking and your conversations. And this is what I would call breakout ministry. So here's what the saints are worried about. We bring all these sinners in here. Oh, we're going to have to hold our purse kind of tight. Mm-hmm. You probably will. <laughs> I mean, look at Jesus' staff. Peter was cussing and cutting people's ears off even at the end. He was out of control. This was Jesus' staff. He wasn't just on staff. He was on the executive team. He was with top three. Rick Warren says, we don't like fishing because we like our fish already clean, gutted, scaled, and cooked. Anybody ever gutted a fish and scaled it and cleaned it? And cook it, and you smell like fish for like two days. You ain't gonna go fishing, and it ain't smelling like fish. So, 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 what I like about your pastor is he brought in like different ministry concept styles. Like my ministry is different than than Bishop Clay's or or Bishop Johnson's. So you have, so you have variety. So that you know, okay, this is what this is what we're going to be. When we take it all in and we we hear, we heard what God said to us through these messages, this is now the play we're going to run. Don't get frustrated when your pastor gets exposed and wants to make changes. Walk with him. Catch a contact off his high. He needs people to put systems in place because the nets will break. If you don't have the right system. Because you can expose your ministry to a, to a large amount of people that you can't handle. So there must be a system in place so that you can care for them after you catch them. I feel so instructional <laughs> that I feel like doing Q&A. But this ain't that environment. So really, Pastor, I'm done. I don't have nothing else. I'm ready to get on the plane and go back home to my wife and... So I pray that something that was said will make you have some kind of breakout in your thinking 
in your conversations and in your ministry going forward. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here in Aurora. I thank you for this man of God. I thank you for Pastor Gilbert. I thank you for Pastor Kay. I thank you for everybody that stands alongside them, every servant, every minister. I thank you for every pastor in this room, of every congregation, who maybe they didn't host this event, but they were here, and you were talking to them about their ministries. Thank you for that. And I pray, God, that we will do more than just hear what you say it, but we'll heed it. We'll walk it out. In Jesus' name, amen.